Who am I? A Pittsburgher, you'll tell by the accent. I was the senior medical photographer at the U of R Medical Center for 18 years, then went to the Kodak Research Lab, and then Kodak's Information Center. And took an early retirement, and I've been involved in photographic history ever since. I was involved in history all my life. The show is a combination of two full-day tours. I've been going down into the Finger Lakes since the 1970s, uh, looking at uh, the beautiful countryside, and we spotted old buildings that were one time uh, studios, photographic studios, when skylight was the only source of light. We would drive up and down the main street looking for them, and then the next street over that had perhaps a possibility. They were The skylights were always on the north side, the north light, and uh, it, we found enough of them that it became a tour. When the graduate program here got underway, we would organize an automobile caravan driving down through the Finger Lakes uh, looking, a lot of these students were foreigners, and so they learned about New York State and the Finger Lakes and the photo history part of it as well. And so that's how we got uh, the tour put together. Uh, we then realized, uh, this is a little flyer, I don't expect you to read it, but it talked about the one that went down the east side of the river and the next one goes down the west side of the river. The countryside is totally different east of the Genesee from west of the Genesee. And the tour on the east side ends up in Watkins Glen State Park, and the tour down the west side ends up in Lutchworth Park. So they have a marvelous day, whichever one that they take. Uh, the the fall tour was the main one. The spring tour went down the west side. So this is what we're going to do. And uh, start from Rochester to Canandaigua. In Canandaigua, They, had, they have a very wonderful historical society, uh, you know, uh, county historical society, and they had an exhibit on Augustus Coleman. Coleman was the son of the most prominent family in town, one of the most prominent families in town. Uh, he chose the, the profession of dentistry. He could have done anything, and he was an amateur photographer. Uh, that's very important, and we're talking way before the Civil War, and an amateur photographer uh, was, was a rare bird. Um, he uh, had an education, so he really went about it in a serious way, and he made these pictures of the main street in Canandaigua. That's the east side, and there's the west side. And Many of those buildings still stand, not many, some. So what we did was make copies of these photos and give them to the students, and we would walk up and down the street, and they would have fun picking out which buildings are still there, which ones have been modified, and so on. This is the exhibit that they had in the Historical Society. Uh, what Coleman did was go up the top of his house, had a cupola up there, and he photographed every direction, which means he got the backyards, the side streets, all the things that never get photographed, animals in the backyard, outhouses, all the things, most pictures in that era were people on the front porch all dressed up for Sunday church or something. Here are real people 
and real backyards and so on, they have perhaps one of the rarest series of photographs in America, pre-Civil War, 1858-59. So there's one of the views. Uh, as you can see, there's a broken plate. I mean, they're just the way the man left them. They found the negatives in the attic of the house. And they did every direction. There's Coleman's house. It still stands on Gibson Street. It's still one of the finest homes in town. And on the roof is where he shot the photographs in every direction. And the camera is still there, and the glass plates. It's just like a time a time capsule. Fortunately, the Historical Society has taken steps to get the stuff and preserve it. Uh, the homeowner has recently died, and uh, I, I think it's all going to be saved. But at any rate, there they are with the pictures and labels as to what the pictures show and so on. Uh, I don't want to dwell on that. What Coleman made daguerreotypes, and I saw five of his daguerreotypes of Canandaigua when I first went there. They no longer can be found. My memory is all there is. Nobody there today knows what I'm talking about. It's a big responsibility. Uh, I'm the bridge between the old days and the modern days. So at the U of R, they have a number of stereo views by Coleman. His whole career needs to be written up. Some I, I was hoping the, the grad students were going to be here today. Uh, one of them should take this on. Uh, any rate, he had a, a, a blind stamp made, and he punched his stereo views so you can tell he was very serious. And he made pictures of things that a commercial photographer would not photograph. Uh, his sister sewing. Uh, people on the porch on, the, on their own property. Uh, all dressed up in, in a, a play or some kind of a performance. They're, they're in costume. Totally unlike any commercial stereo views that you would find collecting. The local locomotives in the, in the freight yard, and he had pictures of the, the baggage handlers that loaded the freight and things that, uh, things that he pleased rather than customers satisfying. This is Sonnenberg, uh, the, the summer home of one of the wealthiest men in America, Frederick Ferris Thompson. Uh, president of a New York bank, uh, big-time holder in railroads, uh, very, very wealthy man. He married a girl from Canandaigua. This was their summer home. It's quite exotic. Uh, she lived longer than he did. Uh, there he is with his camera. He was an amateur photographer again who most definitely could do whatever he pleased. He didn't have to satisfy a customer. This is the property. Uh, there are gardens of all sorts, statuary, flowers. Uh, it's, it's an amazing place. And many people that have taken this photographic tour have gone back to these sites with their family and friends when they come to Rochester to visit. There he is again uh, with his equipment. Uh, of course, it takes two photographers to do this, so somebody else was there with the camera and dark tent and all the same equipment. One of the things Thompson did was he belonged to the Amateur Photographic Exchange Club. A couple dozen very prominent amateur photographers, some uh, wealthy bankers and businessmen, some professors and college faculty, and they had a newsletter which Thompson edited. He set the type 
himself. Can you imagine this multimillionaire uh, uh, producing this newsletter? And, and he said, I'll get it out whenever I'm able to, and uh, that's when you will receive it. Uh, he, uh, the Civil War put an end to the, to the club and their activity, but it was in an era when professional photographers were, were still very much uh, having trade, trade secrets and, and trying to uh, survive in business, uh, these people were concerned uh, with photography itself. And these are stereo views produced by members of this club. And I'll show you the reverse side as well. As you can see, that's Watkins Glen in those days, and Professor Tower, being a scientific guy, he divided it up in a grid. He had a map of the park, and he, he put it into sections, and so this, this view is from that particular area. This is a handwritten label. You know he only made a dozen or two to send to his friends in this club, and it's got what the process is that he used and exposure information. Very, very special stuff that today students of early processes are very concerned to know how they worked and what they did. Uh, that's Thompson himself. Unfortunately, it's in our collection. Uh, it's a snow scene and it's a little bit faded, so it's just pretty much all white. But, but that's what he shot, and that's what we collected. There is Thompson, and that is a photo sculpture that's in the historical society. Only wealthy people could do it. You stood in the center of a big room, and 24 cameras all around the rim took a view from each direction. And then they cut the profiles out and worked it all together, and it ended up as a statue, supposedly accurate because it was based on photography. Uh, the museum has a very nice series of General Grant, President Grant. Uh, this is Thompson himself. He could afford to do it also. They were mainly done in Europe, but there were, I think, some in America. Here we are finally looking at what you came for, the Skylight Studio. And this is the best one, and it's the first one. This is in downtown Canandaigua, the main street, and they built the skylight right into the side of the building, made a big notch. Let's go back. Uh, and that's still pretty much the way it looks today. See the window, modern and in good condition. We'll, we'll look at that window later. This is what we're talking about. This is the wet plate photographer from the 1860s. He's making an exposure, timing it. His subjects are posed. Uh, you can see he has sample photographs in frames around the room. There is that window the way it was when I first looked at it. And you can see all the openings where they could put out contact print frames to make the, the actual photographic prints. It's much changed today. Of course, in all these cases, the glass that was in the skylight has been roofed over, weather, making it weatherproof and, and more useful as a room today. Here's one from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the only one that I personally found. Mr. Bryant had photographed my grandparents before 1900, and he was still in business. He said that the neighborhood boys broke his windows with the stones, and he was upset about that. He mainly was selling greeting cards today, but he was still in his 90s in business and I got to meet him and take his picture. This is the waiting room in his studio. You can see all the different size photographs 
and albums and photographic jewelry, and they did as much business or more in picture framing than they did in actual picture taking. That was a big part of their business. That's a contact print frame that they would put out the window earlier. It, it has a, a little wheel with numbers so you can tell uh, which, how many prints you've made of each one. And it hinges back. You can see the pencil retouching on the glass plate where they filled in imperfections in complexion and so on. And these are different exposures from normal to dark. That's an outdoor contact printing scene in France, I believe. But the idea was all these frames were printing negatives. And uh, that's how prints were made. If you wanted a big picture, you shot a big negative. Down the street from the one we looked at is the studio that was uh, a business in the Civil War era. The family uh, had music store. Marshall Finley was the photographer. They had a music business as well. A Steinway piano franchise. They were really a pretty ritzy establishment. So the music was here. The studio was back here. That's the skylight. One of these doors went upstairs and back. Here we are today, a group of uh, my tourist friends. And that's where the skylight was. It's in pretty good repair here. You see two windows in the doorway into the insurance business. Well, that's when I first went there. There's no doorway. There's the old skylight roof been covered over with roofing material. So fortunately, the buildings changed, but they are preserved and we can still go down there and look at it. Now, back to that first one. Here he is upstairs with his studio. And how does he get his customers? Who, who knows he's up there? How can he support himself? Well, one of these doors, probably the third one, goes upstairs to his business. So every morning, he would put his sample pictures out on the sidewalk, showing the public what he could do. And he was smart. He had pictures of the prettiest girls in town and prominent business figures and political people, the president or sports figures or whatever, and try to attract business. And we happen to have a nice picture of two children in a goat cart who happened to be looking at the sample picture. But that's one of the ways, besides advertising in the newspaper or whatever, we'll quickly think of, we don't have the time, uh, that's the kind of a photographic tent that could be used uh, at, a, at a county fair or somewhere. This is Todd Gustafson from the technology department in this museum. And that's a portable dark room. You, you stick your head in here and pull the cloth around you and you can do your developing in the field. Here is one set up in a stereo scene over in the corner. This is a traveling studio. You can see wheels and it would be pulled from town to town and the skylight was flexible. It could be set up and he had sample pictures on the side. So that's a portable studio. There's another one that's not portable, but it is the skylight and his darkroom workers, sample pictures. There's, there's one on a boat, but this is the one that concerns us next. This is in Canandaigua, 
you could do the whole history of photography in Ken and Degu. Uh, this YMCA building at the time was the studio of Samuel Dwight Humphrey. Beaumont Newhall wrote this letter to the newspaper in 1949 when this museum was just opening to the public and he's describing what happened in this studio that was here and hoping that readers of the article might come forward with additional information. Humphrey made daguerreotype of the moon and he made several different exposures which he recorded and in the longest exposure it's blurred. That's the first evidence of rotation that people, some people didn't believe that they thought the earth was flat, you know, I mean, people believed all kinds of things and that's proof of the rotation of the planets. He made two copies, kept one, and sent this one to Harvard. It's now, come on, it's the earliest surviving astro photograph in the whole world. And it was made right here in Canandaigua. And uh, everybody's pretty proud. Uh, we don't know where his copy is, so collectors can still hope that it'll turn up someday. Another thing that he did, he helped write a manual of photography. His partner was Marshall Finley. Lots of publications were done in New York, Philadelphia, Boston, on the East Coast, but this is Canandaigua, inland America. It's the earliest photographic manual produced in that part of the world. He went on in New York, Humphrey did, and started the Daguerrean annual. The It's the earliest, it was called Humphrey's Journal. It's the earliest periodical in photography, even though photography was invented in France and England, uh, the earliest periodical is American. Another book that he did, this is by his friend Marshall Finley. It's Alexander Jeffrey, who was a pioneer in the gas field. He did for gas what Edison did for electricity went around in America, different cities establishing gas production factories and then the systems of tubing and all that brought gas into American homes. Uh, a very important person. Finley also invented, this is a patent on the plate holder that held the daguerreotype plate while it was buffed and polished. We don't know if Finley's name is on any of these or just the patent number. So collectors still might come up with a Finley polishing plate holder. There he is. For years, people would say to me, well, your studio pictures are interesting, but..." But who were these photographers? Who were these people that did this work? Finally, last year, we did an article on Finley himself. And so there he is. This is his first picture that was successful. He read about the daguerreotype. He had never seen one. He bought the chemicals, bought the a lens, and made a cigar box. And he built his camera and he figured out and made a daguerreotype and that was the first one he ever saw was the one he made himself unbelievable and that the second one was his son a four minute exposure but that's Horace 
There's the whole family. There's the home they lived in. Where the studio was then, we're not sure. If it was a room in the home or on the porch or in a, an outbuilding. They stayed in business. This is a stereo view in a, a glass globe on a, on a fancy home. Two other types of buildings that we look at on the tour. One is the octagonal house, which is popular in this part of the country, and the other is the cobblestone house. So there is an octagonal house in Canandaigua, and uh, they're quite large. That's how they were set up. Here we are in the pier looking at the Great Lake, the Canandaigua Lake. Uh, it was a cold day, that one. And you can see they're sort of shivering. Another day we were there and it was beautiful. But they do, the tourists learn about the Finger Lakes region. It's a pretty country. There's the cobblestone house we pass on our way to Geneva. It's considered the finest example, and it's so nice. It's right on the drive. We don't have to do anything but pull up and walk. Uh, the cobblestones were uh, hand-selected. The, the front of the building has the best ones. Around the rear, they get more irregular and less attractive. But, but the point is, uh, it's, it's a classic home. The 70% of all the cobblestone homes are in a radius around Rochester. So now we're going to Geneva. There's the other octagonal house that we look at. Fabulous place. It looks like a big wedding cake. All this metalwork was ballast brought from Europe in the hold of a ship. They needed some kind of weight, so they brought heavy cast iron, and then they took American products back uh, in the ship again. This is downtown Main Street uh, in Geneva, a daguerreotype. Uh, we make copies of it, and our students walk around and look and compare uh, which of the, the buildings are still standing. You see this this one up at the end of the street? It's still there. And they look at these rooftops and pick out which ones are original. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we, we stop traffic sometimes with uh, uh, with our, our interest, but uh, people are, are considerate. This building doesn't look as old as it really is. There was a fire, and the whole facade burned away, and they rebuilt it. But upstairs in the back is the skylight still pretty much in place. There's our group again, and there's the remains of the skylight. This is the inside of the studio. This is Vail. James G. Vale. This is his waiting room. There he is in the studio with the sky up above. This was published in the uh, image of the journal that this museum produced for many decades. So that's an, a very nice many-page article if anybody wanted to really read about Vale in the studio. Towler is unbelievable. He's an Englishman that was educated in Germany, came to America with his German wife, settled in Geneva, was on the faculty at Hobart, professor of several different uh, disciplines and department head, and a principal in the Geneva Medical College, which was one of America's earliest medical schools. There is his home, and in that home he wrote The Silver Sunbeam, which was the most popular 
manual in the whole world, went through numerous editions, many foreign languages, uh, and the medical college happened to produce the first woman graduate in America, perhaps in the world. Elizabeth Blackwell, and we have a lot of fun uh, talking about her and her career and so on. Uh, that's another group of the students from this place. Medical college was different in those days. The professors sold lecture tickets. That's how they earned their living. And people then took their, listened to their lectures. There she is, bless her heart, isn't she pretty? There's the US postage stamp of her as an old person. Uh, fortunately, uh, we have this one as well. There is the medical college. It's gone now and it's just an empty lot. And that's where that sign was that we were looking at. We're now going south. This is Penyan and Struble's Arcade. I was hoping Joe Struble would be here today. Uh, he hasn't been down to see this. But an arcade was a shopping mall indoors way back. Uh, so you were out of the weather, just all the advantages of going to a marketplace mall, except a long time ago. And back down the side of it is where we're going to go. The Historical Society has done a wonderful job composing a list of all the photographers that ever practiced in Penyan. It's the only town I've ever heard of that has a total roster of all their photographers. By the way, do you all know where the name Penyan came from? Show of hands. Well, it was founded by folks from Pennsylvania and Yankees from New England. So Pen, Pen Yan. And there, if you look carefully, this wall is different than the rest of it. And that's where the skylight was. That was all glass in the 19th century. Of course, none of these trees were standing, uh, and so the skylight could play on the building. That's the inside of it today, no trace whatsoever, but it was ever a studio. But these are the back, the reverse of carts de visite, small paper photographs, uh, wallet size approximately. And these were issued in Penyan, as you can see, during the second, the later part of the Civil War. They had a tax stamp to help raise money for the war, and all the photographers had to put stamps on the back of their photographs. And Mills is the one that I wanted you to notice. This big building was the photographic hall operated by Dr. John C. Mills, medical doctor and photographer. And this building has burned, so we can't show it to you. But in front of it was this kiosk, and that's where he had his sample photographs. And that didn't burn. So when he built his next studio, it still has a kiosk out front. Maybe not the same one, but the same idea. And here is his skylight back in the rear and the business, business is in here. Uh, my wife likes the, the wagon and the animals. Uh, you can see the building details. It still stands. There's been a fire, and so this has changed. But there it is today. The skylight part is gone, but the oval is still there. Uh, the fire escape on the side, 
It's the same building, a different shot. He moved down the street then, and here he is. There's his advertising kiosk again. Uh, the business is in here. The skylight was out the rear. We don't have a picture of it. But that's three studios by Dr. Mills. There it is today. Still standing. See the, the oval windows on the one next door. Uh, so now we'll move on. This is the town of Dundee. And 4th of July, 1850, they had a huge street fair and festival. All the hotels were open. Dinner was served. There were bands, lectures. The name of the sign, Sutphin, is on this that's how we identified where this town was. And Carl Cavillac, who's in the audience, found it by looking in the census, New York State, and there was Mr. Sutphin in the town of Dundee. And in a very quick uh, demonstration of his skill, he had it located in just a blink. We had for years been unable to know where it was actually taken. Uh, you can see trees up on the roof. They put trees on the roof of a brand new building. But this is not a new building. You can see the banisters are in disrepair. So why the trees are up on the roof, we're still wondering. 153 people are here some blur, which means it was a time exposure, and the wagon pulled in or something blurred. I had people tell me, oh, it's it's got to be New Orleans because of this or that. Someone else said, oh, it's got to be New England because of the roof lines. Somebody else said, the wagon, the wagon is a giveaway for some location. Another person says, wagons have wheels. They don't stay in the town where they were born. And so Car Carl Kabalak identified it while I had him on the telephone. He said, when do you think it was taken? And I said, 1848 or so. And he said, well, let's assume it didn't travel far from home. So it could be New York State. And I have the census open. And the man's name was what? Something. He said, Dundee, New York, just like that. I had written all over America to people in historical societies and photographic museums and so on. There's the building that's there today, nothing to do with our building. There's the, the flyer about the newspaper from that day, the 4th of July. They had the choir. They had the public speakers. Uh, they sent a balloon up with an animal in it. It said a, a live creature would go up in a balloon. It was probably a guinea pig or something. Uh, so here we are looking at a copy of the photo and on, this, on the site. There's the studio that's across the street. And you can see where the skylight was. And it went up the roof. It, the man described it to me. He had to tear it down because it was always leaking and dripping water in his building and so on. So I didn't get to see the skylight cell, but I, I can see where it was. This is in Glenora. This is the Glenora Waterfall. A train, a bridge for the train goes overhead. And that's a daguerreotype, which we were able to collect. And there it is today, still a bridge going over it. Beautiful waterfall. And that's our group. We had with us a two-week-old baby from an, an RIT student. That's the youngest 
tourist I've been able to attract. Uh, pro probably a record. Uh, this is in Watkins Glen, still standing in disrepair. When I first went there, this was still a photo studio. They were selling picture frames and albums and things. And back in the back, they took pictures with floodlights, of course, today. But the skylight was still upstairs. There's a bit of a close-up. They have a window cut into it. They, they, of course, don't know anything about or care anything about its photographic history. That's my, my concern and my students. Uh, but there's an advertisement for what, what that is and, and how you could buy the kit, send the man your measurements, and he would send the supplies to assemble that window. Then we finish with the skylight tour, and we go down the road to Watkins Glen Park. If they haven't taken a whole lot of time with questions and so on, we have time enough to go through the park and we take them to the upper level and they enter and then they come back up down the bottom. If, if the tour has run late, uh, then we just go in the bottom and look around uh, the first uh, couple uh, levels under the waterfall. It's really exciting, a lot of fun. Now. What Watkins Glen really means to a lot of Americans is automobile racing. And, and our friend Frank Calander, who's in the front row, provided these pictures uh, of uh, automobiles racing, or, or at least being shown. It's where they used to race. They don't race in the town anymore. They used to actually run around the, the streets. Uh, now there's a race course. But they're great photographs, and we certainly have the feel for uh, what it must have been like. So that's the end of the Eastern tour, and we put the one together on the West. This is the town of Lima, and this is the front on the main street. There's the skylight on the back of the building. A couple different views. That, of course, ran up the roof as well, originally. We were able to get inside. It was, for many years, it was a sort of abandoned upstairs, and, and I could poke around, and the students would climb around, and we actually got inside, but that's what the skylight looked like when it was in use. This is a picture of the building in use at the time, and this is an ad for the, the oops, the photographic uh, uh, studio. And it says uh, Stanley's Exchange, and today the man that has bought the building is redoing the whole place. This is inside that studio. It was just full of old furniture and whatever. And the old railings and banisters and the hole in the wall. It was, it was in need of restoration. So he's now putting back again the old sign. Heavens knows what the expense of all that. And I happened to be there with a, a group of students and there are the partitions that he's making it into an apartment. Now we're, we're going around and back Letchworth Park. This is in the town of Nanday, and down in here, and we're driving by, and our son I told him what to look for, and he said, like that, Dad? And he spotted this. That was a skylight that's been roofed over with sheet metal, but you can see 
absolutely the, the total outline of it. Today, it's been half converted. When we were first there, uh, there were uh, stairs and things which are gone now. But there's the remains of, and that's now an apartment or a business. I, I haven't figured that out. Uh, Butchworth Park. It's it's better to go around because once you go in the park, you can only travel at slow speed. So it takes a long time to drive this at, at park speed. But that was the original bridge. That was the largest wooden bridge in the world. And it was there for many years. Uh, every timber in it was duplicate, so they could take one out and service it or repair it or whatever and put it back in and not uh, disrupt the bridge. And you can see a train on top. The trains would stop and the tourists would get out of the train and take a look and, and then get back on again. One day I was there taking a picture similar to this. This is a daguerreotype in our collection. The museum has one also, and a man in Ohio has a third one. Uh, they're obviously copies. We don't know which one's the original. At any rate, I'm down in the gorge taking a picture of like this with my color slide camera in the 1960s or so, and a train comes. I can hear a beep. You, you can't hear much because of the roar of the water and everything, but we heard the train coming, and the train starts across the bridge. So I'm going to get pictures every stage as he crosses, and one of them will match, hopefully, this. And as I'm taking pictures, there's cursing and swearing. I can't believe the language I'm hearing. The man next to me is a locomotive engineer who's down in the park on his day off with his family, and he wants to take a picture of the bridge with the train on it, and his camera is out of film, and he has to reload the camera, and there goes the train by, and he is totally upset, spoiled his day, and I'm clicking away, and I got my pictures. Uh, anyway, that's the bridge that's there today. We happen to be there on a rainy day. Uh, there's a brand new bridge that's been built. It's it's a modern bridge, and in just a few weeks, the tracks will be laid on it, and this old steel bridge will be gone. So anybody who cares about any of that should hot foot down there to uh, see what remains of the two bridges both in place right now. There is, in the 1970s, the remains of Bassett's Skylight Studio. And there it is today. So if we hadn't taken such a picture and preserved it, uh, that's all you'd see, and you'd never know that that was the studio. There's the name. You can't read it. Now you can read it. 1909, that's the most recent, the youngest of the Skylight Studios that I've encountered. This is a photographic wagon, a dark room inside. It happens to be in Pittsburgh, my hometown. But the idea is that a man named Marion Crockett had one of these and went around the Finger Lakes towns taking pictures for people, and it burned. So he decided to set up a business, and he built this building in Perry, and it says Ambertite Rooms, 
And there it is again, different view. Crocker was his name. There he is. And there's the building today. Been much modified. It's called the little studio. It's now out of business, but still standing. Of Betty Rice is the owner. She last report she was still with us, and she would take uh, my group up inside. This is where the skylight was on this side. That's what it looked like roughly. The building's totally rebuilt, and inside it's modern photographic dark rooms. But there we are with one of our groups. We, uh, that's the end of that tour. That's the Citizens Bank on Monroe Avenue. Uh, the Gravers have a photographic collection. Uh, our library went to Ryerson University over in Toronto. Our cameras were dispersed among our collector friends. We still collect photographs and they're stored in the vault at the Citizens Bank. The Graver family had a total fire in 1939. I was two years old. Total loss. So you'll never see the Graver photographic collection in a wooden house that could burn. <laughs> if you need to see our collection, it's by appointment because we have to get it out of the bank, but at least we know where it is. You were very kind to sit here for an hour, and I thank you much for your time.